A reading from Exodus. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. The word of the Lord. A reading from Acts. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Good morning. Uh, you may be seated. 
If I haven't met you before, my name is Molly Ruck. I'm married to Christian, who's the pastor here at Church of the Cross. And I'm very happy to be able to talk this morning um, about the fourth commandment of keeping the Sabbath day holy, as we've been in a series on the Ten Commandments. This has been a wonderful message for me to work on, to preach to myself this week. And so um, I hope that you'll be blessed in it. Um, one of the things that I was, have also been reading this week, besides books on the Sabbath, is an essay by David Foster Wallace. And I felt like, oh, his essay corresponded very nicely with what I was talking about. The title of his essay is called A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again. And it's about going on a cruise. Uh, as a journalist, he was assigned going on the cruise um, to study what is a cruise like and to write about it. Uh, and he has uh, this comment about before the cruise even started, uh, he started eavesdropping on, on uh, people's conversations and learning why they were going on the cruise. And he said that the word that came up over and over again um, from his eavesdropping was the word relax. He said, everybody characterizes the upcoming week as either a long put off reward or as a last ditch effort to salvage sanity or self from the inconceivable crockpot of pressure, or both. And then from that uh, quote, he has a footnote, his 24th footnote already in this essay. Uh, he writes, I'm pretty sure I know what this syndrome is of how everyone is talking about their absolute need to relax and how it's related to the cruise brochure's seductive promise of total self-indulgence. What's in play here, he said, is the subtle universal shame that accompanies self-indulgence. The need to explain to just about anybody why the self-indulgence isn't really, in fact, self-indulgence. Like, he says, I never go get a massage just to get a massage. I go because of an old sports injury that's forcing me to get a massage. Or, he says, I never just want a cigarette, I need a cigarette. And I was reflecting on that of those difference between wants and needs, the difference in hard to sort out if something is self-indulgent or if it's needed rest, and thinking about in contrast to the shame of self-indulgence, the Sabbath is something we actually do need. We need rest, and it's also something we should want because God himself modeled being refreshed on the Sabbath day. So the command to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy is something from God that's a genuine need for us. And so I was thinking, how, what do we think about that need of the Sabbath? What are some reasons why we need it? And then how do we practice it? So in thinking about reasons for the Sabbath, I'm going to narrow it down to three, but there's so many reasons why we need to keep this command. Um, first, uh, the obvious most simple reason is that God tells us to. Uh, his laws are for our good, and he says about this command, it's part of the eternal covenant he's made with us. He starts the command um, in your bulletin where it says sermon notes. You can see that version of it, remember to keep the Sabbath. In that word remember, it's, it's implying that this was not a new concept for the people of Israel. They knew the creation story. They knew this pattern that God had set in place from the beginning of time, that for six days he worked, on the seventh day he rested, in order to make that day set apart, 
holy. And he's saying to us, we need to uh, remember that. And now he's commanding that we don't work on this day, that it's fully set apart. Um, I don't think that God needed to rest on the seventh day. I think that he was resting very much like Jesus being baptized by John, that Jesus didn't need to receive a baptism of repentance, but he was baptized by John to show us our need for baptism. And likewise, God rested on the seventh day to show us our need for this pattern in our lives of working for six days and resting on the seventh. I I just was curious about myself, kind of asking myself this week, why is this such a hard commandment for me to follow? You'd think that resting would be one of the easier commandments to follow. Instead, I think that all of us, like Wallace's essay, end up pushing ourselves to the point of exhaustion and then needing time away instead of following this weekly rhythm that God has set up, this pattern that we have rest every seventh day that we keep it set apart. So I think that it's hard for us because we have a universal human tendency to think that we're gods, that we can be in control of everything and we can make all of our plans according to our design. But in the Sabbath, we're reminded he's the creator, we're the creature, he's God, we're not, and there's a purpose in his um, commandment for us to rest. God was asking his people, not just, uh, and I'd say, not just his people, I mean, it even includes the animals. God is asking men and women, children, employees, servants, people who are new to that land, sojourners, and even animals, to trust in his provision. In multiple directions, Sabbath directions throughout the Old Testament, he reminds them again that he would feed them, that they would always have enough. He would always provide. And so I think as we look at the Sabbath commandment, we need to ask, do we really believe that God will do what he says? The Sabbath is our weekly reminder to ask that question. Do we believe in God's provision? That he will take care of everything that's needed in our lives and Uh, those other six days of the week to get it all done and to have this day of rest. Us, we need that reminder. A second reason why we need this Sabbath is because it actually sanctifies those six days of work. The days when we're working from home or school or at our jobs, our work, our labor is sanctified by God. Um, In my work, Uh, I often interview people, and um, one of the things that is kind of common for interviewing is that sort of near the end of an interview uh, to say, oh, we've got about 10 minutes left. Is there anything else you'd like to share? And those 10 minutes usually yield more like 20 or 30 minutes of something really important that the person has not yet brought up in the interview. And when I was reading our Exodus reading from chapter 31, I was thinking about that because This uh, last time that God talks about the Sabbath before Moses goes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments is like the last ten minutes. It's really important. He says, above all else, keep the Sabbath. 
So he's given the commandments. He's, you know, we don't know how, but with the finger of God, he's written them on the tablets. Then he's taken time with Moses to talk about how the tabernacle was going to be built. Just minute details of this beautiful structure that would be built to honor his name. And then in the last 10 minutes, right before Moses goes down the mountain, is the time when he reiterates the Sabbath commandment to the people. And in looking at this time of where he reiterates it, um, and then the first time that he gives it earlier in the chapters of Exodus, there's something new that's included, and that's that the Sabbath is a sign that God sanctifies us. Uh, I grew up in a tradition where I kind of, I somehow got into the mode that I was, like, it was my work, the sanctification part was my work, like reading the Bible, uh, giving to the poor, that was the work I did for sanctification. In this passage, God is saying, I sanctify you. And just as God made the world, he's instructing Israel to make the tabernacle, and I love this quote by John Salehammer in um, the Pentateuch as narrative. He says, the work of building the tabernacle was holy because it was sanctified by the sign of the Sabbath. As such, the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness is a paradigm for all of Israel's work and is a paradigm for all of our work. By setting apart the Sabbath as a sign, the whole of their work and the whole of our work is marked as a holy task. What this means is that we need the Sabbath because God then sanctifies our work, which means he is at work in our work. So whatever you do for work, God is at work in your work. So when we work on the Sabbath, what are we saying about God being at work in our work? I think we're saying that God might not be able to get it done in time. So here's some of the, my self-talk that I'm willingly disclosing. If I could just get one more work email sent this week, it would just set me up for the week ahead to not be quite so stressful. Or if we could just get the garage cleaned out, then I wouldn't have that hanging in, like nagging in my brain, and it would just make the rest of this week so much easier. Or I just need to get one more load of laundry done and um, get a few more things in order for the week ahead. But again, this is going back to God saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me in your work? Will you trust me that as I work in your work, it'll all get done? Uh, looking at the gospel reading, I think this is where we see uh, Jesus instructing us further in our work, that he first says, come to me. Come to me in your work. All those six days of the week, come to me with your work. Jesus desires our person, not our perfectionism. He desires our person so that he can lay his yoke on us. A yoke is a tool used for work. He can lay his yoke on us, keep us connected with him so that he can take the burden out of our work. He can make it lighter. He understands what needs to be done. This is the God of the universe who created everything. I think he knows about your job. He will help you get your job done. Uh, I had a time um, in uh, like having some physical symptoms, um, trying to figure out diagnosis, like what was going on with me, and having like a, an experience of a brain fog 
where I just was not able to concentrate. So I was having a really hard time getting my work done. And I remember saying to the Lord, could you uh, dictate this next email for me? I think I can type it, but I can't figure out what to say. And just having the experience of God just directing, um, say, write this first, write that next, make sure to include this in the email. Truly, God wants to be part of our work. He wants to sanctify it and make it holy. It's a sign of how who he is as God, to be at work in our work. And the Sabbath is the sign that tells us that. Uh, A third reason why I think we need the Sabbath is that our souls need rest. And Jesus said, come to me, I'll take this burden, and I will provide rest for your souls. I don't think our souls can wait till the next vacation to take a rest. They need a rest every single week. That's the pattern that the Lord set up from the beginning of time for the sake of our souls. In thinking about this, I've uh, pulled a parenting book off my bookshelf called Simplicity Parenting. Uh, I would totally recommend it if you haven't read it. Uh, And actually rereading it again, I'd recommend it for anyone because it was like reading a book and being reminded of how God parents us. The reason why I remembered this book is that it has a phrase in it called soul fever. That even as we have physical fevers, ailments, um, we can sometimes have a soul fever where our soul needs rest and needs to be cared for. The author of this book says about the premise of this book, uh, he says, the book is my best attempt to answer what can we do about the soul fever. And basically, it's boiled down to this. We simplify. This is exactly what we need to do when they, our children, are overwhelmed, stretched thin, and stressed out by the effects of having too much stuff, too many choices, and jumping through their days too fast. So doesn't that sound a lot like us? Stretched thin and stressed out? too many choices, too much stuff. The simplification that comes with this day of rest, a day set apart, is God taking care of our souls, keeping us healthy so that we can love him in mind, body, soul, and strength. He, we need this day each week. Uh, when we think about needing the Sabbath, then it kind of comes to the question of how do we practice the Sabbath? Um, I think that let's first start with how how we don't practice the Sabbath. We don't practice the Sabbath um, under a fear of a curse of death. That was the, the story of the Israelites for a specific reason. The Lord had set that up, that there were blessings and curses. We now have Christ, the fulfillment of the law, who has taken away any curse of death. So God's command to follow the Sabbath is completely for our blessing. We also don't practice the Sabbath like in our gospel reading the the keepers of the law were doing with a legalism that didn't understand the the root of the Sabbath. They had lost sight of mercy. Um, They had made up additional rules for how everything should be kept in place. And um, actually, I think, 
many of us have maybe accumulated some of those rules um, just from our Protestant Reformation. In 1647, the Westminster Shorter Confession says that the Sabbath would be a day for no worldly employments or recreation, but only what is necessary and acts of mercy, for it must be a solemn rest. I think that they misunderstood, in a sense, this word, and I mean, I know that there are many great minds who wrote that Westminster Confession, but I do wonder if they didn't quite understand the solemnity that instead of a solemnness, of a, like a, a drudgery, the solemnness is more like what we uh, hear in a wedding ceremony when the bride and groom say to each other, this is my solemn vow. Meaning, I understand the importance and the gravity and the beauty and the joy of taking this vow. That our solemn rest is not drudgery or lack of recreation or what keeps us refreshed in the Lord, but it's instead keeping the feast together. It's a joy. So how we practice the Sabbath, I think we can turn to how the early church practiced the Sabbath, how the Sabbath has been practiced now since the book of Acts, that instead of um, having a Saturday Sabbath as the Jewish tradition, it became a Sunday day set apart the Lord's Day, the resurrect, remembering the resurrection of Christ, remembering the Lord's Supper. And you might be familiar with some of these components that they had. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. This is what the church has been doing ever since the church began to recognize and remember the Sabbath. We practice the Sabbath in the same way. But as we come to worship a day set apart for us to come together to worship, I did have to ask the question, what if coming to worship actually feels like work? Because I've had times in my life where coming to worship has felt like some work. One of those times is when I had three little boys and I was pregnant with a fourth child and it was a lot of work to get everyone in the van, somewhat clean, somewhat on time, and then to show up here and that was a stage where they were very into making paper airplanes. Um, and so, actually, the reason why my family sort of habitually sits in this front row here is because uh, normally I would sit in other places in the sanctuary, but in that time, we moved to the front row so that paper airplanes would go under the piano and not over people's heads. Um, it was just one more way to sort of take the work out of the day. Um, so I get... Parents here, uh, we're glad you're here. I know it can sometimes feel like work, but sometimes worship can feel like work because there's maybe hard things going on in the place that we worship. Or it could feel like work because there's just hard things going on in our life that we would rather not be with other people lest we end up having to talk about it. But worship isn't work. It's part of God's plans for how our souls enter his rest. In a book called The Radical Pursuit of Rest, author Kessler writes, worship is active, but it isn't work. Worship is a verb, but its most important dimension is passive. God is the focus of worship, but we're its primary beneficiaries. Worship isn't work. It's actually an act of leisure. Leisure, Kessler says, in its ancient sense, is the condition of a soul 
characterized by receptivity and serenity. So how, does the, how are our souls, what do our souls receive here? Our souls are fed. We have the word of God read to us. We have the word of God spoken in our prayers. And we feed on the bread and wine. Sacramentally, the bread and wine are outward signs of that invisible grace. We actually eat something that feeds our souls. So we're nourished and fed. We can come hungry and thirsty, and our souls will find strength here together. Psalm 138 says, On the day I called, you answered me, and you increased the strength of my soul. I was thinking about how even the prayers of the people in our time of confession together, where we're calling on the Lord, is increasing the strength of our soul. We're finding rest. I read two studies this week um, about uh, church. One was a study kind of post-COVID of many people now, or more, not many, but more people thinking that worship is something that's best done alone. But another study, interestingly enough, was um, some university professors looking at uh, participation in a religious service and how it increased well-being. And they said it was religious participation together rather than belief or personal activities like prayer alone that led to the promotion of well-being. It shouldn't be surprising that we need each other in this day set apart. That's how our souls find strength. When we say the Lord's Prayer and say, Our Father, our, give us this day our daily bread, we're coming together and we're receiving rest for our souls and we're receiving strength for our souls and even as the Acts passage uh, says, even awe for our souls. That's what's going to make the rest of the week doable. It's, I had the experience once in my life where I was so lacking Christian community that I ended up going to four church services on a Sunday because I just needed to be fed and filled. Um, I don't think that that should be everybody's habit. That was just a season in my life. But I do want to ask the question, um, what does the rest of the day look like for you? I'm so glad you're here together setting apart this day and having your souls fed but what can the rest of the day look like to truly be set apart from the rest of the week? I mean, I encourage you, don't go into the office to try to just get one more thing done. Um, if you do Instagram over the six days of the week, what if you don't do it on this day? Think about what this day can look like to remain set apart even after we leave this time together. I'll just end with a picture I have of um, that reminder of what, what might the day of rest have looked like for God. And it talks in Genesis about how God enjoyed taking a walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden, or the cool of the evening, taking a walk in the garden. And I thought, oh, that's a beautiful picture of refreshment and rest that we could model our day on as the Lord has done but we're, as I said earlier, we, he established this for the sake of our souls. So let's pray to that end. Lord, we do just pray that um, you would keep our souls healthy, that we would remember that this day was set apart by you from the beginning of time, knowing you know so well what we needed, what all of creation needed, Lord. 
So Lord, may we humble ourselves to accept what you give and to know what we need. And may we find joy in this day as we keep the feast together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.